last week for you was to find a specific place just to adjust your posture every single day. And so, pop quiz, how'd you do? Wait, wait, okay, great. You know, those of you at home, you don't get it. You, in the chat, how did you do? You can, you can fill it out. Some of you are like, oh, wait, wait a minute. You actually want me to do things with what you talking about? Yeah. We don't want to be hearers. We want to be doers. Some of you are like, I'm new to church. I don't know what the word is there. The word is doers. All right, doers. Okay. So the goal last week was to select a place to just to daily posture your heart in prayer. And so if last week was about place, this week is about space. Ooh. Let's talk about space for a minute. The Psalm chapter 22 the psalmist wrote that God is enthroned on the praises of his people. Another translation says that God inhabits the praises of his people. In other words, God who is everywhere at once, he can actually take up space in our hearts, in our lives, in our midst, that God is enthroned on the, in, the, in the praises of his people. He inhabits the praises of his people. And later in the New Testament, though, Jesus tells a story about a house. And a house has rooms, just like a house does today. A house did then, had rooms. And it's the enemy's desire to take over the whole house. But in order for him to take over the whole house, he starts first with just taking up some rooms, some spaces in our hearts and in our lives. And so from this whole heart, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And God inhabits the praises of his people, all of this space. Jesus takes it a step deeper. And he says, if you, your life is like a house with, filled with many rooms, it is the space where God is, yes, in Christ, yes. However, it is also contested space. Everybody say contested space. It is contested space. God has a plan for your life, as does the enemy have a plan for your life. Nothing is neutral. We live in contested space. And so contested space is where prayer is meant to live. It is meant to live in spaces that are not neutral. They are not just benign. They are contested and they are contentious. And so prayer happens in contested space. You know, let's think about it this way. Inside of me, there is space. There is my thoughts, my feelings, my emotions, my perspectives, all of these things, the way that I see them. That's the space inside of me looking out right now, engaging this moment. It is all on the inside of me. The other side of it, have you ever walked into a room with two people who were fighting? And you walk in and they may have been fighting and they don't say anything. It's like if you're invited over to somebody's house and they are in deep conflict. Unless they can fake it really, really well, you walk in and though nothing is said, you feel it. I mean, if you have the spirit, if you have a gift of discernment, you really, really feel it. And if you're dull like a butter knife like me, you just walk in like, hey, how's it going? No, you feel it. Or you walk into a room and two people are fighting and you're like, ooh, ooh. How do you know that you can feel that space? You can feel that space. And there's a third space, though, and the space is not inside of me, and it's not the space that you're feeling if two people are in conflict or two groups are in conflict. It's not that. But there's the space inside of you. And here's the thing. Here's the challenge. The more you and I become prayerless, the more we desire to change others, the space inside of them, which, by the way, is the only space you have no authority to touch. You and I have no authority. How many know that we cannot change anybody else? Though we try and try and try again, we cannot change. It is not our space, but God, who is outside of all of these things, can inhabit each of these spaces and do what only he can. And oftentimes it feels futile 
to pray for God to move in someone's heart because what's really enticing is if I get in there and I can do some of my work in their heart and in their life. And so pray, we're going through this acronym last week, is this place of pausing or adjusting our posture, beginning to pray. And the R is rejoicing or adoration or worship. It is seeing God, who God is and seeing that God is not limited by any space whatsoever, that he can move in anyone, anywhere, anytime. And so the word rejoice is where we get the word, of course, joy. And one of the ways that our joy, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And one of the ways that our joy is robbed is when our worship is diminished, when our adoration is diminished, when you and I can only then begin to see what's wrong in everybody, what's wrong in the church, what's wrong in the city, what's wrong in the world. And believe me, there's much that is wrong that needs to be seen, needs to be uncovered so that it can be healed, confessed and dealt with. So I'm not talking about walking in ignorance, but I am saying that something happens when our adoration or our worship is invaded. Our joy is robbed. Our joy is diminished when our worship, our adoration, our rejoicing is diminished. And all of this makes me wonder if prayerlessness in Canada, because we do have a prayer, within the Christian church, we do have an epidemic of prayerlessness. I have to wonder if prayerlessness is not only an issue of distractions and disciplines. We've been trying for probably the last 10 years to solve the issue of prayerlessness by distraction and disciplines. And I think it's good and it's meritful and there's things that we need to engage in this, but I can't help but wonder if there is not a greater issue of distortion and yes, even demonic deception that is taking place. And the only way that unholy power leaves if it is if holy power takes residence. So you can discipline yourself in lots of ways, but if unholy power is present, unless holy power takes its place, it will stay in residence. It will stay in that room. The whole house may be God's, the foundation may be Jesus, but that area will see a depletion of your life. How many know that you don't need many holes in your tire for it to be a problem? The same is true in the Christian life, in the Christian faith. And so dis discipline is something we do, absolutely. But in disciplines, we are consistently asking God to heal our distortions, our deceptions that are within us. And this is why Jesus said the following regarding prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 8. He said, whenever you pray, ah, there it is again, puberty, my favorite joke. Whenever you pray, you must not be like, we should, we, we should engage auto-tune on the board so that when my voice cracks, it just modulates like, ah, that would be great. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to stand praying in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. How many know that Jesus is here talking about performance? Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. The reward is people who go, wow, you, really, you pray really great. Thank you. Jesus said, there you go. But when you pray, Jesus said, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in what? Who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles. I love Jesus' language. Since they imagine that they'll be heard for many words, don't be like them. Because your father knows the things that you need before you ask him. Ooh. Augustine said, what you think about God is the most important thing about you. And I think he was on to something. Because if you think that God dislikes you, 
that God doesn't love you, that's going to impact your prayer life. If you believe, if your view of God is formed by a person, you know, if your view of God is being formed by a person who claims God's name yet never lives up to his character, that is going to inform how you view God. It's going to impact how you pray. And if faith is all pressure and performance, then how is it any different from getting good grades, promotions, or trying to become a higher class of person, which is the language of the world in which we live? And Jesus said, prayer is not a performance. Prayer is not many words. You don't need many words. Why? Because your father already knows before you open your lips what it is that you need. Now, I have often found, as you have, that there's a great difference between what I think I need and what God says that I need. And this is the place of wrestling within prayer. And so the enemy assaults the same thing in each of us. It is consistently over and over and over again that God isn't who you think he is. And nowhere can this be more evident than in our lives of prayer or perhaps lack thereof. And so to counteract the lies of darkness, of deception, of distortion, Jesus, as he teaches on prayer, he starts first with the language of family, of adoption, of belonging, and inheritance. Aren't those good words? Jesus, when he begins to pray, notice he doesn't start with what you do. He starts with who his father is. And this is so critical because if you want to learn how to pray, if you want to deepen your prayer life, engage it at a higher level, it's not going to be merely found in what you do, though it has to get to your disciplines and mind. Yes, it has to start first with who we see God is. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, Jesus said this, when the disciples said, could you teach us how to pray? In 31 words, Jesus taught them, and here's what he said, you should pray like this. And then he said, our Father. He didn't say my Father. He didn't say the Father. He used this language of if you are in Christ, this is our Father that we are praying to. And then he also said, though, watch it, watch it. Our Father, who is in a specific space in heaven. Hallow, your name is to be honored as holy, or hallow be your name. In a single sentence, Jesus points out that our Father is all about adoption. It is all about belonging. It is all about family. It is all about inheritance. Your Father knows what you need before you ask. He's listening. He's available. He's your Father. But then he instantly reminds us that your Father, yes, it's all about adoption, but God is holy. In other words, God is aboveness. So it's not merely adoption, it is aboveness. In other words, when you and I are in contested space and I'm working through things in here and someone else is working through things in there and I want to change them over here because they're really annoying me, they're bothering me, they're doing things that are wrong to me and they need to stop, they need to change. Here's what I need to know. I am in it. This is all earthly. This is all happening down here. And God, the Father, knows each of us individually and yet he is above these things desiring to bring on earth as it is where? In heaven. Here's what I want you to promise you, that in heaven, there ain't no conflict. There was one time and the Father dealt with it swiftly. Some of you will know what I'm talking about. There are others, not so much. 
Justin Gibney says, God is our model of love and compassion, and he requires us to care deeply and to sacrifice, yet he never told us to be led by sentiment alone. He consistently urged people to deal with their sin and brokenness, and he was, Jesus was even willing to lose followers when hard truths need to be spoken. And sometimes the place of prayer can be a place of struggle because God may, in his heart for freedom for your life, desire and give you a hard word, not a harsh word, but a hard word that it is that we need to receive. Because honestly, what kind of father would God be if he only gave us what we want instead of what is best for us or what we really need? A moment ago, quick little side note, and then we're going to jump right back on. A moment ago, we were singing a beautiful worship song. You know, like when I open up my mouth and miracles come out, I have the authority you know, Jesus is who he is in my life. It's a beautiful song of worship. But the whole of the Christian faith is not just about what I see and what I say. It's also about alignment. And sometimes a hard word that God can be bringing to the church and that I think sometimes we get wrong and we get backwards is this, that if we prophesy something in God's name, even according to his will, he's healer. Regardless of what I say, he's healer. But if we prophesy something in his name and we say God is going to do this and this doesn't happen, it is a beautiful space that you and I in humility confess our limited perspective in view on that. How many of you know that prophecy in the charismatic church would be elevated if we functioned with healthier authority than simply bombastic emotion declaring perhaps what we desire but somehow isn't according to his plan that we cannot see? It is the place of prayer where you and I often begin to wrestle with, look at, I'm not ever saying reduce who God said he is. I'm not saying that. I am saying, though, if we say God's going to do something and that does not happen, that you and I need to be men and women who follow Christ in integrity and say these words, I got that one wrong. Some of you are afraid to do that because you feel it will diminish your gift. What I want you to know is it's the exact opposite. It's the exact opposite. It'll, ele it'll elevate the fragrance of Christ on your life. There's nothing worse than when someone gets something wrong and they double down on it. See, sometimes when we get to begin to pray, there are these hard truths that the Lord begins to lovingly speak to his church, not because he is trying to remove something, but because he is trying to grow us up in something. And this is entirely different. For Jesus' prayer with our Father, who is above, who is holy, who is set apart, it should be three things. So this week, if you have a place where you're beginning to pray, you have a place, you have a time that you've set, Say, now, great, now what do I begin to do is in this place and time? What do I say? Prayer should be according to Jesus. Three things, simple, honest, and then don't lose heart. Simple, honest, and then don't lose heart. Simple. Let me give you some really simple things in your place this week that you've decided I'm going to pray in this chair at 7 o'clock in the morning every day. Let me give you the first thing that you can pray. Here's the prayer. You ready for it? Wow. Wow. God, you graced me with another day. Wow. 
God, you graced me with a chair. Wow. God, you graced me with $9.47 in the bank. Wow. God you, God, you graced me with coworkers that I can't stand. Wow. Wow. Here's another way that you can pray this week. Ready, all right? We're gonna, now we're going to elaborate on wow. Just, you can do it. I believe in you. Here you go. Sit in your chair, your couch. Don't lie down. Once again, don't lie down for prayer. That's a nap. It's something different. <laughs> Sit on your couch. Here's your next three words. You ready? This week, here's, if I don't know how to pray, I need you. I need you. Where do you need me? Everywhere. Haven't you seen my life? Every which where. Every which way, every which where. That doesn't make any sense, but we're going to go with it. Here's another thing you can pray. Forgive me. Direct me. Lead me. Help me. Simple. Honest. You don't need to perform. Isn't that nice? It's actually the one place there's no performance whatsoever because whatever is on your lips, he already knows. You don't have to perform. You don't have to start reading from the King James Bible. You don't have to try to make yourself sound more spiritual. Now, sometimes your prayer, your words will not be few because you've got a lot going on on the inside of you. That's okay. Sometimes my prayers are really long because I got a lot to work out. But simple and honest and also don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. So while you're, while pretending and performing isn't necessary, here's what is persistence. Pretending and performing is not necessary in prayer, but pers persistence is. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 to 18, Paul expands on this, and he says, therefore, we don't give up. How many of you ever feel like giving up on a situation? Can I see your hands, please? Both hands and feet, please. Oh, I have. Therefore, we don't give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day for our momentary light affliction. If you know anything about Paul's life, there was no light affliction in his life. None. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. This is prayer. For what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. Don't miss this. Please don't miss this, whether you're here or whether you're at home. The Bible describes prayer as unseen. It never describes prayer as you being unknown. And those are two really big different things. But your enemy will always deceive you that you are unknown, that what you are praying is unknown, that what you are engaging is unknown. Why? Because he wants you to discourage you and he wants you to give up. Because he knows the place of prayer is a place of holy power. And he would rather you shift into unholy power. Because that is a place that he can control, manipulate, and do what he desires. Jesus says with abundant clarity, your father sees. You are never not seen by the father. And so prayer is the practice of often not seeing so again, you're sitting in your chair and you're looking at your room or wherever you happen to be. You're going on a walk with your dog. You're looking at the same neighborhood, but you're praying to a God who you cannot see in a moment or you cannot, you know, in the, in the, in the natural, you cannot see, but you are trusting that you are seen by God in that moment. 
that you are known by God, that you are seen by God, that you are engaging your heart, not from this distant, distracted place, but this focused place. Oftentimes, loved ones, adoration and worship and rejoicing in the midst of unanswered prayer, in the midst of prayer that doesn't seem to come to pass, disappointments, sometimes adoration and worship and rejoicing, not in the circumstance of what did or didn't happen, but rejoicing in who God remains, that again and again and again, the temptation of life is to define God by our circumstances rather than his character. And sometimes the most defiant places of resistance are trusting in who God is, regardless of what you're seeing in a moment. It is in this place of battle, it is often the greatest act of resistance against the forces of darkness especially when you cannot see prayer making any difference. Prayer should be simple. It should be honest, but it should also be persistent. Don't give up. Why? Because it's contested space. It's not benign space. It's not neutral space. It's not just you and God in that space. There is an enemy that is active with demonic forces desiring to do the antithesis of whatever it is that you're praying. It is contested space. It's also resisting, again, the temptation to shift from holy to unholy power. Honest question here. Has anyone at any time in their lives ever had somebody in your life that you wanted to change? Can I see your hands, please? (laughs) Did you ever try some things to change them? Can I see your hands, please? How did it work out? Not great. Even if you were successful, all you really created was codependence. Great, now they're always relying on me. (laughs) Loved ones, when you and I shift from God, who is the only one who has the authority to minister to the heart of somebody else in terms of get into that space, we can influence and we can share and, and we can engage with one another. But when we begin to shift into a space where I'm going to take it in my power, I'm going to form them, I'm going to change them, I am going to make them more like me. No, the Apostle Paul said, follow me only as I follow Jesus. Don't, so become like me where I'm becoming like Jesus. In other words, wherever I am not formed by Jesus, don't you dare follow me, follow Christ. You see... You should pray like this, our Father in heaven. Everyone say in heaven. In heaven. Your name is honored as holy. While we are spending time with God, he is outside, he is above, he is higher than any place we find ourselves living in. That is why when you and I begin to live in fear and from fear, we can trust that God's love, his perfect love, casts out all fear. Why? Because it's above and it's greater. When you and I begin to live from shame, we can rest in that God's acceptance of us is not on our behavior, nor is it on our performance. It is rooted in Christ's finished work, not our unfinished formation. He who began a good work in us is going to see it through to completion, and we have steps of obedience and disobedience that we take along the way. And when we're obedient, we're formed to be more like Jesus. And when we're disobedient, we're being conformed to the image of this world. But here's the beautiful thing. God, who is still above and holy and separate from 
from can actually transform us and renew us and redeem us and rescue us from our disobedience. He's always above. He is always higher than these spaces and places. When you and I begin to live in out and out rebellion, which is actually simply all sin is rebellion. All sin is saying to God, I have a better way. I want to do it my way. All sin is that God is always looking, waiting and longing for us to return home. It's why J.I. Packer says that adoption, everyone say adoption. Adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers. It is higher even than justification. He says to be right with God the judge is a wonderful thing. Oh, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father is greater. It is greater. And Jesus places us in a relationship with our Father. And he simultaneously teaches us that God is higher and that he is above. And his name is to be honored as holy, as separate from set apart from any and every other name. And our spiritual enemy knows this. And that is why since the beginning, his deception is identical. God is holy somehow becomes God is holding out on you. In other words, did God really say? Is the question the enemy asks again and again and again. And you are no more vulnerable to that than when you have unanswered prayer or disappointment with how God did not respond to something that lined up according to his word. The enemy will come in that moment because he is cruel, he is vindictive, and he is never loving towards you. And he will utter those words. Well, did God really say? Is God really provider? Is he really healer? Notice God never, the enemy never challenges when your job is going good, when you've got a couple of bucks in the bank, God, the enemy never comes along and he never whispers into your anything about God as provider or God's provision. But the moment you go through a hard time, you lose your job, something happens unforeseen. Isn't it wild that in that moment you will begin to wrestle with who is your Jehovah Jireh? This is not benign space and the enemy is never kind towards us. Never kind towards us. When you and I read our Bibles, especially the story of Jesus and demons, you're going to see one thing, one thing. Demons always correctly identify God as holy. Hello. Demons always correctly identify Jesus, God, as holy, and then they work to disguise God's holiness to us. Because darkness knows that where God is, oh, beloved, hear this. Darkness knows that where God is, holiness also resides there. Which means where God is, where heaven touches earth, humanity is set apart from something to someone. And sin has an identical intent in my life and yours, and that is to separate us from someone, God, to something inferior than God something that is common, something that is tested and true, impacting and eroding each of our hearts. And so again, when we rebel, when we wander from God in distortion and deception, the enemy begins, or he becomes the one holding, God then becomes, sorry, in distortion or deception, the enemy deceives us, and then all of a sudden, God becomes the one who is not good. God becomes the one who is not faithful. God becomes the one who is not caring. God becomes the one holding us back from life, from pleasure, and from you being you. Loved ones, hear this pastoral moment. 
with both ears and your whole heart. Canada is a secular nation, which by definition is a nation attempting to live as though God does not exist. And here is the temptation. In each space and sphere, the body of Christ is being tempted and we will be tempted to use quicker, inferior, unholy power other than the power of prayer and the power of the Spirit and the power of unity in Christ. These are holy power. We are going to be tempted to use quicker, inferior powers other than the power of prayer, the power of the unity of the church, the power of the Spirit in us to see the change in others and in the nation we desire. Inferior power tempts us to perform for our side, create culture wars between us and them, and beloved, listen to me, use our words as weapons of shame, control, manipulation, fear, and division, the identical words that the enemy uses in our hearts and lives. We parrot them back. We might use God's name, but we are working from a power that is not from God. And stack the majority of Christians, Canadian Christians, who are prayerless. Is it any wonder why sometimes we can no longer discern the difference between when we are operating in holy or unholy power? This is why after listing all the ways of performance, people-pleasing, Defining life by being better than someone else. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 8. Do not be like them. Why? Once again, oh, your father knows what you need before you ask him. And so Jesus, for Jesus, prayer was rooted by trusting his father knew what he needed even before he uttered it on his lips. A God who loves you, can I say? A God who dare even likes you so much that he'll never stop working to make on earth as it is in heaven. And this just isn't a space out there. No, it's, it's the space in here where God desires to work. And so let me synthesize this to a finest point. Each day we are given an opportunity which Father we will follow. A Father who loves us. Or another Father who all he does is lie to us. And the contested space of trust is the place of prayer, of intimacy with our Father. It's praying in specific places praying simple, honest prayers and then not giving up because our Father sees us. Prayer in this space is alone, it's individual, but it's also together as we make room for God in our hearts and in our lives. So I want you to reflect on prayer in your life, not from a place of shame or do better, no from a place of adoption and belonging first, and then a place where your Father can speak about all the rooms of our lives. Look at your life. How's prayer going? And my prayer this week is that you would make room for your Father 
who sees you, who knows you, and who loves you. Just make room. Because the Father who lies to you in your life and in the church of Jesus Christ, he has too much room. And it's going to take men and women of faith to fall in love once again with a Father and the Father's holy power that will drive out unholy power. Prayer is the place of contested space. Will we make room? Let's reflect as, as the song comes sung over us and then we'll come back in a minute and close.